Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to normalize grief and loss through candid conversations and shared experiences. Hosted by me, Sally Douglas, and me, Imogen Khan. We unfortunately joined the club that nobody wants to be part of when we both lost our mums unexpectedly. This podcast aims to create a space to openly discuss what grief is like and provide comfort for those who might be going through a similar experience. We'll shed light on an often taboo subject with honesty, hope and a little bit of humour. In today's episode, we're joined by an incredibly strong and inspiring woman, Rachel Torty. Rach is the curator behind the awesome Hello Friend Creative, a concierge that brings a network of talented collaborators together under one roof to produce amazing, engaging content. Rach was 31 when she met Rome, the man of her dreams. Just two months after meeting him, their world came crashing down when Rome was diagnosed with a brain tumour and given only two months to live. Today, we're going to be hearing about Rachel's story of determination to find a cure and her long fight to try and save her husband's life and the many sacrifices that she had to make along the way. We feel really honoured to have you share your incredible love story with us, Rach, and we think you're an amazing woman. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Rach. Oh, thanks, girls. That was an amazing intro. I was like, oh, I want to hear from this lady. (laughs) (laughs) So do we. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, thank you so much. It's an honour. I'm, I'm really excited. So, Rach, do you want to tell us a little bit about Rome and, and, and how you guys met, how your sort of love story started? Well, it, it was all a little bit of a wind, uh, whirlwind, to be honest. When we first met, I definitely wasn't looking for the type of guy that Rome was. <laughs> but he was six years younger than me and a skateboard photographer and very much not set on his life path of, you know, owning a home or financially responsible or any of those things that I was really feeling like I wanted to take hold of in my life. So when we first met, he was just super cheeky and um, I'd actually gone on a trip to China for work and while I was away, my flatmate at the time, Ruth, had a party at our house. And when I got home, I noticed that my bed was like messed up. And I was like, what? Who's been in my bedroom? Oh, no, and, that um, is the worst. My, <laughs> and my other flatmate at the time was like, skateboarders, skateboarders have seen in your room. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and Ruth was, I was like, what? She goes, oh, yeah, I'm And a couple of other guys, they ended up just sleeping in there. And I was like, who? What's this? Who's this person's name? And she was like Rome Torty, and I was like, oh, for some reason that name just kind of had a chord. And I was like, oh, that sounds like an interesting name. I was a little bit annoyed, but a little bit like, oh, good for you, Ruthie, because we did like to have a good time back then. And so, yeah, that uh, that kind of happened. And then a few weeks later, we went to a party, and Rome was there, and I got introduced to him, and I was like, hey. I think you slept in my bed. And he said, I did. And I rifled through your underwear drawer. Oh and my I was goodness. like, oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God, who is this person? And I was just intrigued from, from there. He was super fun and silly. And, yeah, one thing led to another. And we held hands. but yeah so he was very footloose and fancy free back then and yeah I think he had quite a few girlfriends around Australia so I didn't really (laughs) around Australia because he was traveling a lot you know shooting skateboarders and not really 
cemented at that stage and because I was really focused on my career and I owned my own home and all those things, I was like, oh, wow, you know, that was that. But I just couldn't get him out of my mind. And I was like, why? Like, this guy is so not what I need or what I'm looking for. But it just it just wouldn't go away and I couldn't stop thinking about him. So we did end up going on a few extra dates and then I went away for work again. And while I was away, we kind of connected on Skype and really made it a proper connection on Skype while I was away. So yeah, then when I got back, he took me to the um, Notorious B.I.G. movie. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a date I, night. I know. This is, it sounds like we were 12 when we... <laughs> and then Did you he hold said, hands oh, again? Yeah, well, <laughs> he was so immature and silly. So, And he actually said, I think I only want to kiss you. <laughs> and I said, I think think needs to be a little bit more cemented. So I <laughs> and so, yeah, we decided from then and he decided that we would be together and be proper boyfriend, official boyfriend and girlfriend as a 31-year-old. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah, it kind of started from there. And I think everyone was surprised. and But we just fell super deeply in love and just inseparable. And it was actually really special and beautiful. And, yeah, I still look back and get all, like, hot and sweaty when I think about it. <laughs> Oh, I love that. It just felt like that instant connection with him, like something was drawing you guys together. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. To, to the point of like, I was like, what am I thinking? I'm 31, he's 26. It was it was a pretty big age difference and, and uh, yeah, I just didn't think that was on the cards. And I think everyone was like, oh, we'll see what will happen here. Not much is going to come of this. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, you know, even though I said he had a lot of, different girls around Australia before that had been a really beautiful committed guy in a relationship and mm. wasn't really a major lady um slayer so mm-hmm. <laughs> but he seemed to kind of like just go a little bit maybe you know as people have said later on that maybe with the tumor that was growing inside his brain he kind of started to change with his personality a little bit which mm. was actually quite interesting yeah, but that um interesting You'd been with Rome, so you were you fallen in love, and you were together for a couple of months, and and was that when you found out that there was a, a tumor and that something something was wrong? Yeah, so uh, you know, initially I was like, oh, this guy's a little bit flaky, like he was a little bit forgetful every now and then. He kind of has these little forgetful things, and I was like, oh God, has he been like? Was he like a major drug taker? Had he taken acid when he was young? <laughs> but he wasn't. He, you know, he loved his beer, but it wasn't like he, you know, should be having these side effects. So I was like getting a little bit curious about it, saying, oh, and he said, oh, I forgot something, or I've been getting these funny tummy aches, and I, I don't know what's going on. And one time he was out with some friends, and he went missing for like a couple of hours, and he didn't know where he'd gone, and he didn't know where he was. And then one day he turned up at my house, but he'd came to the back door and he was knocking on the back door. I was like, what are you doing? And he said, I don't know. I don't even know how I got here. And I was like, oh, this is like freaking Weird. me out. So, scary. Yeah, he said that um, his mum had taken him to the doctor and they'd done some tests, but nothing had kind of shown up. And then I spoke to my cousin, who was a, he's actually a neuropediatrician in Adelaide, and he said, look, you know, I think you should take him to get a CT scan and, and put possibly an MRI because there could be something going on with his brain. So because we'd been, 
only in a relationship for a couple of months, I kind of felt like that pushy girlfriend who's like, you've got to go to the doctor. And, <laughs> and um, I, I didn't really kind of want to be that person, but I was like, oh, I've got to, you know, do something because he could actually have an accident or, you know, if he's having this blacking out situation. So, yeah, we, I convinced him to go to the doctor and he got the CT scan and we went there together and then I went back to work and he called, he called me on the way back to work and the, the hospital had called him straight away and said, you've got to get up to emergency. You've got a tumour the size of an orange um, just behind your ear and in your brain. And I was like, oh, my God, like what is actually happening? So he got the call when he'd just gone back to the skate park and he went back to his parents and they drove up to the hospital and I had to call my work and, and explain to them and, and I was, just felt like I was living in a dream. Um, so, yeah, that's where it all began. How frightening. I mean, the size of an orange. Did they, did they say sort of how long that might have been growing? Well, yeah, well, I suppose initially it was all just, you know, let's get in there and, and find out what's going on. But yeah. when we did find out later, it, it could have actually been growing for quite some time and, it, it, you know, even possibly years. Wow. Yeah, so but um yeah, so they pretty much we went up to the emergency department. I'd met his parents once or twice briefly. So they were there and I met one of his sisters for the first time. She came up and so we were all sitting there in this in emergency department just reeling really. What you know, how did we get here, what was going on and yeah, pretty quickly they said that he'd have to go in for emergency surgery within a couple of days and they'd have to admit him. So, yeah, basically that's what happened. He was admitted and um, had surgery within two days to try and debulk it. It just sounds like such a whirlwind couple of months for you as well. And so I know that you were determined to stick by his side at this time and you just felt like that there was no, not really an option, didn't you? Yeah, I think looking back at it, I'm sure there were a few of my friends who were like, what is going on? Do we have to an intervention like yeah. well, it, I just honestly didn't even think twice I was like right we're doing this this is what's happening I I have to be this really strong support person for him and I I honestly jumped in not relishing it but I was like okay I'm doing this this is what I do mm-hmm. and this is what we're doing and trying to keep him positive but he just he honestly was the best patient ever he was always so positive and so upbeat and we would still have jokes and be silly but obviously there were really serious times but he was honestly the best patient there could possibly have been he was always very upbeat and positive and even on the days that he wasn't we kind of got there in the end so he had surgery and did that take like a lot of the tumor out was that effective kind of what what happened next you know, there's not much hope that gets given. He had a glioblastoma, a grade grade five. They found out after the surgery because they had to obviously get in there and see what it was. So that's um, one of the worst brain tumours that you can possibly have. So it's really super aggressive and they really don't promise much with that type of tumour. So it was, you know, just decided that he would, well, the recovery was pretty hard right from the start but then once he got through that and got home that he would start chemo and then do a course of radiation at the same time so they could try and bring down the remaining part of the tumour because they couldn't remove it all because it was 
so close to like different vital areas within his brain, but he got through it without a lot of issues, like physically, definitely mentally, he lost some capacity and couldn't see or write or do anything like that for quite some time. So I was on his laptop replying to people and trying to, you know, send messages out to everyone and keep everyone updated because he was really well loved and we had a lot of people that wanted to know what was going on. So that kind of was a pretty full-time job keeping up with that. So, yeah, they, um, they really didn't give him much chance. Like, I suppose two years would have been, you know, the, the most they would have said that he was going to survive for at that point. I never went home and went, oh, God, wish this had never happened to me. And yeah. it was more just like, okay, well, this has happened to him and I'm going to be there for him. And, yeah, it was about this time that I was like, I've got, I've, I started to have the thought, I've got to have a baby with this man I'm going to have a baby with him and it's going to be a boy and it will be like a reminder of him for forever did you fall pregnant quite soon after the operation or was it something that you were thinking about for a while before it happened I think I was I was like okay this is going to happen he was like oh uh, okay are you (laughs) and I was like yes you know what you're signing yourself up for here Rach (laughs) but I think he was just concerned because obviously he didn't know if he was going to live or die but Mm. I was like well we need I need to make a baby with you because you may not you know live and and when I told his parents they were just I said look I think we'd like to try and have a baby before he starts chemo and they were like oh my god this is the best thing ever do it I know I'm like oh well nice to formally meet you and um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have your son's baby <laughs> and so yeah we we tried and obviously it was tricky because you know it wasn't really the most, most romantic time but um, we tried and I kind of almost forgot about it. We thought it hadn't happened. I think I got my period and then he started chemo. Just before he started chemo, we froze some of his sperm just in case, which was an interesting thing to have to do. But So we froze that and we were like, okay, well, we'll use that just in case later on. Didn't get pregnant. And then, yeah, so he went through chemo and, and did six weeks of radiation where lots of the family all come together and everyone helped with that driving him up to Brisbane and back and I was still working full time at the time so I was trying to juggle all of that and try and be there as much as I could for him and then after he finished chemo I was like oh, I've got a really small back like it felt like I was constantly getting period pain I was like oh this period's never coming it had been like weeks of period pain and then I was like hang on a minute I think I'll do a pregnancy test and then oh. sure yeah so oh. I found out yeah, so, and then I cried. I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? What am I doing? <laughs> is this a good idea? I was like, this is absolutely insane. But um, then, obviously, everything calmed down, and it was actually a really beautiful beautiful time to kind of have something else to think about. And he'd finished chemo and radiation at that point, so there was a lot of downtime, a lot of kind of chilling out, So, which was good because, you know, before then I was definitely, before Rome got sick, I was definitely drinking a lot and so it was quite easy to to not drink and, and kind of settle into the fact that I was going to be having a baby and I'd never actually wanted children. I was actually anti having children. So it was a it was a massive shock to anyone who ever knew me. Everyone was like, what the actual heck is going on? It's like, are you all right, Rach? Do you need a minute? <laughs> Just to, you know, I actually said like you. years later, I was like, God, I just can't believe no one saved an intervention. And 
<laughs> what have you done with our friends? And that but, must yeah. have been such a beautiful thing to keep Rome positive and going as well, you know, during that time because he must have been feeling pretty weak and tired, but you had mm-hmm. that beautiful thing to look forward to and, and also, mm. you know, deepening your connection as well. It must have been such a, a special time within what was also probably quite a worrying time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the fact of, like, the impending, like, sort of, like, you know, overwhelming sort of death and, and then just having the thought of new life and, yeah, I really actually enjoyed being pregnant. It was really nice. It was a it was a great time. There was a lot of stress as well, but when I look back on it, I really enjoyed those nine months and he didn't have any tumour group, uh, growth during that time. We had to have a lot of checkups and tests and things like that, but... He was doing quite well, quite stable through that, so that was good. It was just the um, the financial stress that kind of started to weigh on me after, you know, not realising that I wouldn't be going back to work full time. And Rach, I imagine as well as the financial stress and worry, you may have also been experiencing some anticipatory grief as well. Yeah, definitely, and just grieving losing Rome, grieving not being able to live a normal life, grieving not being able to be, you know, a, a normal mum because, yeah, that's probably the bit that I've always had the hardest time with, just not like when I was pregnant, feeling stressed all the time and just always felt like I wasn't really in the moment. Yeah, and it's supposed to be such a joyous time of your life isn't it and you've just got this yeah well when when Ryder was born it was beautiful we had a lot of time together and it was it was really special um I've definitely got a lot of beautiful memories but there was always this over this looming kind of well the tumor was always kind of looming and I never really felt like I got to be a new mum properly sorry no don't be sorry at all I mean I I I feel for you (laughs) I mean, it's definitely not the same, but my daughter was nine months old when my mum died and I just felt like I couldn't enjoy it anymore. I was like, well, that's it. (laughs) It's just horrible now. Like, how am I supposed to be happy or enjoy life when this really fucked up situation is happening? I think it's a a normal, yeah, a normal feeling to have and it's just a really awful time. Yeah, I think... um... Yeah, Ryder wasn't the easiest baby. He cried a lot and there's a lot of stress. And, and I always kind of think, oh, you know, they, they say about all the cortisone and different things that can affect babies. And so oh. then I just became obsessed. Mate, babies <laughs> not are not to... fun. They are absolutely not fun. Like five months of hell, I had no sleep, crying. I had to like bounce on one of those, you know, Swiss balls to try and get it asleep. And she just was not having it. So yeah, I really no. feel for you. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the times that were really stressful was like driving from one hospital to the other to try and get your results and a screaming toddler at the back and then trying to entertain him for like three hours in a waiting room, blowing up bloody surgical gloves. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, so I mean, obviously having Ryder has been the best thing that's ever happened, but I definitely I have major guilt that I wasn't really able to you know fully focus on it the mum guilt's a real thing 
I know. Bloody Rome stealing all the glory. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be something he would say, like he'd always make jokes about the tumour and, you know, he'd always say that Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, not a tumour and <laughs> he was always super silly. He loved a dad joke. So It helps when yeah. you can laugh in the darkest of times, I think. It really does. That's lovely. And when did you guys get married? Um, we got married. I think Ryder had just well, there was a lot of pressure on Ryder because he had to learn to walk before the ceremony <laughs> oh. because we wanted him to walk up the aisle. So he was about sixteen months. So yeah, two thousand and eleven, we got married, and that was amazing just to have everybody there. And yeah, it was I, I absolutely loved our wedding day. It was it was actually just the most magical day, and. Yeah, I just still look back at it with like super fond memories and yeah, it was really good. Ryan wanted the wedding to be like um the November rain film clip with Slash. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> like, can you imagine that all of his friends with like long hair and tattoos in the in the church scene? <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That is absolute yeah. cool. Have you got a video of yeah. this? Is it no, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't quite look like that. But the, <laughs> there was a there was a dance floor, and I think my mum was like dancing to like Nirvana, jumping up and down in the middle of the dance floor. So yes, we mom. got there. We got there. <laughs> um, no, it was it was amazing. It was a super special day, and yeah, it was really great. Everybody was like, that was the best dance floor I've ever experienced at a wedding. So that's what we wanted. And when did things take a turn? It was. Probably about a year after we were married and then we got the results that it had started to grow back and, you know, what were we going to do? What were we going to do? Like the uh, doctors really wanted us to start chemo again. Rome really wasn't keen. So there was a lot of pressure with that because even if he did start chemo, there was no guarantee that it was actually going to stop it and then his immune system would be, you know, kind of ruined again. So we really were trying to focus on getting to Germany because they have amazing treatments over there. So that was our focus. But the tumour just kind of started to grow a little bit too aggressively and, and that's how um, we ended up going down and meeting with Charlie Teo and going down that path. Were you still hopeful this whole time or did you sort of, was? did you think, okay, there's... There's going to be a point where we just can't really take this anymore, and he's probably not going to. Survive, I don't know. I was or... still very, I was still very determined because there was a few people that I'd met on Facebook, um, and then I was following that had had, you know, that had lived for you know five, eight, twelve years, so that yeah. was actually promising at that point. So I was really, and speaking to some of the clinics in Germany, they were having really quite good results. So. You know, I was obviously hopeful, but there wasn't a lot out there to inspire us. But we kind of did feel like we were the we would be the ones that would beat it. So, yeah, there was definitely um, times where I would think we're fucked. This is like this is never going to get any easier. Like, but I'd never share that with Ryan. But you know, there'd be private times where I'd just be like. Should we just stop all this carry on and just like, you know, go on a holiday somewhere? But it was just so hard. You can't switch off. Like Mm. you can't switch off a terminal or a brain tumour diagnosis. It's just there looming. You can't just pop off to Fiji for a holiday and the tumour stays at home. It's like (laughs) it's just there. It's it's overhanging over you. It's like a big dark cloud that's just always Mm. looming. And Rach, how did Rome's second operation go? Unfortunately, 
the operation didn't go so well and he ended up becoming partially paralysed after that surgery. So we thought we'd be walking out of the hospital on the 24th of December and he was paralysed and all the hospital staff had gone home on their Christmas breaks and we were pretty much trapped in that hospital paying $2,500 a day. $2,500 a day? Yeah, to try and, and with no kind of answer um, what to do with him or where to go because most of the administration staff have gone away on holiday. So we're kind of like, oh, what do we do? Yeah, how no do we answers. get him home? Yeah, because it was, it was in Sydney and we were in Queensland. So, you know, how do we get him home? What do we do? What's the process? It was, it was definitely a super lonely time and stressful. How did you um, get home? Well, we actually had to do a bit of dodgy, um, <laughs> um, a little bit of trickery. So I got in contact with a group, who I won't mention, um, who help transport patients. So people who are incredibly sick, they bring the nursing staff that help you travel so they can help you get onto a plane and do all that stuff and be with you on the plane just in case anything happens. So after you've had brain surgery, you're not actually allowed to fly for a certain amount of time. So we had to pretend that he'd had a, a stroke. We pretended he had a stroke <laughs> and checked him in. So they, they come and met us at the hospital. We um, tra- They transported him to the hospital. I was driving, like listening to a calm meditation podcast because I was like freaking out and sweating. Um, I'm so sweating just like, thinking about it now. Is <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was illegal, but that's okay. They can finally get me for it now and so I'll, I'll go down. I was yeah. like, this is like drug running, but a really giant human version. Of- <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> so we get, to the, we get to the airport. I'm sweating. The nurse is with us. He's like, okay, yep going to happen so we they go up to the check-in and you could see the staff and they were looking at Rome it's Christmas I think maybe New Year's Eve or New Year's Day he's got a beanie on <laughs> the hottest day of the year <laughs> he's wearing a beanie to hide the scar the massive scar on his head and pretending to just be like someone who's had a stroke oh my god oh my goodness <laughs> And he's looking at me and kind of doing this funny half laugh, um, but he was still partially paralyzed. And I was like, "Don't even like this is so stressful. I can't even look at you." Cracking jokes, right? (laughs) Yeah, this is this is so stressful. I feel like if we can't get on this plane, where are we going to go back to? The hospital, two and a half thousand dollars a day. No thanks. I can't actually care for you. Like I don't even know how to transfer him properly from the wheelchair to the bed. So it was like, oh my god. So. Anyway, we, we make it. They, they, you know, they think that he's had a stroke and then he's okay to get on the plane. And we get on the plane and I was like, oh, my God. When we get down, when we touch the ground on the Gold Coast, I'm totally going to kiss the ground <laughs> because <laughs> this is so stressful. So, yeah, my mum had luckily taken Ryder back to the Gold Coast a few days before and we we got on the plane with the, with the nurse and made it back to the Gold Coast and then they transferred us up to the Gold Coast Hospital and thankfully they didn't ask too many questions about how we actually got there. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, oh, thank God for public health system. We're back here and, you know, thank God for Medicare. They'll look after us and, yeah, so it was a major relief. 
What that is a, quite what a story. A story. <laughs> that needs to be a movie. I've just had it playing out in my head I as you were telling too. it. I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember we were in the ambulance, like, after we got to the Gold Coast Airport. One of our friends worked at the airport and she met us. And she was like, oh, my God. I was like, we made it. We were in the ambulance and I was, like, taking photos. of. I was just so excited. I was like, oh, my God, we're here. We're here. Smuggled him so, back across the border. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it was just, yeah, such a relief to be home around support and friends and family and because I remember being at the hospital on that 23rd and everyone was leaving with balloons like oh, it's Christmas I'm like fuck off yeah so the worst Christmas I've ever had is definitely sitting down with Rome's mum and dad at the a hospital cafeteria oh that was definitely never want to go back to that and Rach, how long was it after that time that, that Rome passed? Um, so it was about nine months after that surgery. So Wow. And you were caring um, yeah, for him months. then? So he came yeah. and you were sort of caring for him full time? Yeah. Yeah. So wow. it's definitely, I think my grieving process definitely started around this point where he he was partially paralysed, but he was still wanting, you know, to learn to walk and talk again. So they put him in the the stroke section, the section, the rehab section of the hospital. And he was just like, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. And he wouldn't go out to the main eating area because you've seen people who had strokes, like they lose, you know, a lot of facial function and stuff. And and he was just determined. He was like, I'm not one of them. And um, which, you know, no offense to anyone with a stroke, but he was just so determined to not be that. And I guess he would have been... 30, 31 at this point. So, yeah, so yeah, really young and, mm, and yeah. um, definitely stood out in that little section of the hospital. But so, yeah, he learned, he learned to take his first steps and got his speech back and, and went through full rehab at the hospital. And then, about two months, I think, um, he came home. So, we had to get the house set up. He was in a wheelchair, get all the different things, handrails and things put in. And we were really lucky. We had great support with the palliative care staff. So even though he didn't want to be put in with palliative care, I kind of had to force him to in a way because that gave us the best support at home. But palliative to Rome meant that he was dying. So that's what it does mean. But that's where they give you the best support for, you know, in-home help and care, which we really needed. So would have just come to that point where you guys have been fighting for so long to save his life and you know, mm. coming to that yeah. realisation that, it might be the end soon. I think that would have just been really frightening for him. And Yeah, for sure. And um, the the amount of support and stuff he needed was full on. And I remember the hospital staff, just they absolutely loved me because I'd always come and he'd be happy and he'd be like, no, I don't want to do it yet. I'm waiting for my girl. And and when I'd turn up, his face just used to light up and I just loved being that support for him and, and, and helped him. He wouldn't eat any of the hospital food, so I was having to make food and <laughs> bring it in. And then, you know, but, on top um, of we got there being and, a mum and everything I else, like superwoman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And trying to do some kind of work to make money. But yeah, so he, he was really happy to come home. He really wanted to come home. He hated being at the hospital. So it was great to get him home, but that came with a whole new, you know, a lot of things for me to learn how to do. And, yeah, which I actually quite enjoyed some aspects of it. Some of it was super tiring and hard and 
but it was still, you know, I really felt really honoured to be that person that he looked to and trusted and wanted to be by his side. And you got to be with him sort of when he died as well, didn't you, Rach? That's right. And, um, yeah, so the palliative care staff were amazing. We had some nursing staff that would come and help a couple of nights a week so I could get a full night's sleep. And my mum was there as well. She was amazing. So, yeah, we had, you know, the family were coming and going, Rome's family. and He's got a big extended family. Everyone was coming and going and visiting. And, the you know, the final night, we had this amazing nurse on staff. And I stayed up with Rome until about 2 in the morning. And I didn't really realise that this was going to be the last night. But we'd had a discussion with all the palliative care staff, like, a couple of weeks before regarding what we were going to do, what he wanted to do for the last, you know, path and who he wanted there and, and um, what he wanted to do with his funeral and things. So they, they kind of sit you down when you've actually got that time to, you know, decide what to do at the end. So we have this amazing nurse and she said, you go have a you know, nap and, and um, I'll wake you up if anything progresses, you know, if anything changes. And so I went to sleep and she... Um, she was playing him gangster rap all night. Um, notorious B.I.G. <laughs> yeah, I think there was some notorious B.I.G. getting played, <laughs> and and he was like, you know, she she was just the best, like um, looking after him and playing the music he would have wanted to listen to. And I just think that's absolutely beautiful. The palliative care staff are just absolute angels. I absolutely admire them. So then, yeah, she woke me up at about four thirty and and said, you know, he. The end was getting closer. His breathing had started to change, and so I called um, his mum and dad. And um, then I just pretty much snuggled up on the. We had him in a hospital bed at that point in the in the lounge room. So I just snuggled up on the hospital bed, which I actually used to do that even after his first operation. The doctors used to come in and give you a bit of a growl, and you'd have to get off the bed. And then <laughs> when they'd leave, I'd sneak back on the bed again. So yeah, I just was. It was actually a really rainy, rainy, cloudy morning, which I quite like. And, yeah, the rain was just heaving down. And, you know, I got to lay there with him when he took his um, final few breaths, which um, was heartbreaking but also beautiful at the same time. Do you think that when it got to that moment, you were just sort of like you guys must have been so exhausted after such a long battle that it was kind of like you know, I was just let, happy for him to be yeah, out of pain and yeah, and sort of, yeah, be, yeah because it. yeah exactly because he was so physical and not being able to move and there was so much I mean I had to learn how to administer all the pain medication and all those things it was he was definitely kind of ready to go when he when he finally went yeah and then I remember I just I did play that Nick Cave song into your arms on repeat for Stop. about two hours oh. <laughs> And I just wheeled him next to me and I lay on the couch and I just listened to that for way too long and a friend of mine turned up and they were like, I think we have to turn this off now. Um, I was like, yeah, it is is time. I have done, I've gone too far because I actually was never really much of a a Nick Cave fan until I needed to be that sad. And then, yeah, and then Nick was there for me. (laughs) But yeah, so... And what did those was, um, months after Rome's passing look like, Rach? Because I, I guess you were kind of grieving beforehand and then 
mm. and then sort of grieving afterwards what yeah what, what did that what did that look like for you I was really lucky one of my best friends Lottie came up Lulu come up and I just felt like really supported by my by my friends for the funeral because who thinks they're ever going to have to organize somebody's funeral you guys would know that so I felt really supported and really um, lifted up by everyone in the community and our family and but then as you both will know kind of like everybody goes back to their lives and I always say yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then it's like it's just the crickets and you (laughs) and yeah so I definitely felt very alone and very 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 low even like two or three days after the funeral, actually. One of my friends come and picked up Ryder and took him to the local fair that was on, like, you know, just for a day out. And by the time I got back, I'd definitely drunk way too much wine. <laughs> yeah, can you so, take um, him out again, please? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need to say this. Day drinking, um, that was probably one of my only solo day drinking sessions that um, I really gave it a good shot. And lucky my mum was there, she was like, yeah, I've got this in here. I'll hold your hair back <laughs> if I need to. Oh. Um, yeah, so it did. It just felt, felt very alone and you know, I don't blame anyone else because everybody does go back to their lives. But, yeah, it's really hard. I had some amazing people who, like, delivered us food and, and especially in the last few weeks of Rome's life, like, mm. one of my friends, Tara, would always bring over food and just leave it at the front door, like, no glory or mm. love for it. Like, she'd just drop it off. That was just what she did. And so there was a lot of that. doesn't it? Things like that. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really things. does. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, good, one less thing to think about. And I definitely still felt really supportive with our online community. There was a lot of beautiful messages and things going on, but it was all a bit of a blur, to be honest. I couldn't, I I honestly went through some messages the other week and I was like, I don't remember receiving any of these. I just, yeah, it was all, you know, a bit of a whirlwind. There was, you know, we had a beautiful ceremony for Rome and we had over 500 people and and then we all went to the skate park and it was it was amazing it was a big outpouring of you know love and support but yeah it does kind of all peter off and then you're like oh what do I do now who am I yeah I was gonna ask that Rach because I know you you've sacrificed so much since the minute basically that you met Rome your whole Mm -hmm. life sort of ended up catering to Mm -hmm. to his illness do you feel like that you I guess, lost a bit of who you were prior to, to all of this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But at the same time, like, I'm a much better person now. Like, I'm so, I'm so much, like, less self-obsessed and mm. and I'm so much more patient and I just, I'm definitely a better version of myself. Mm. But I also felt, like, really, like, what I've just kind of, like, spent five and a half years focusing on someone else like what who am I what do I do like what do I enjoy yeah yeah Yeah, exactly I mean I'd had to definitely let go of rebuilding financially there's no hope of kind of getting back to that point and I've just let go of that it's like you know I'm happily living but I may not own another home for quite some time and being also like I've really pulled back from I work a lot still when I run my own business of course but I try to do as much as I can in the time that Ryder's at school and then really try and spend the time that he needs me with him so yeah then it becomes like okay well now I'm Ryder's mum for 
at least another five years and then I will be me again. But I am becoming more me again now, but yeah, it's kind of still not quite about me at this point. Yeah, and I guess as well, like you're still so young and you're now essentially a, a widow. Like is that must have been yeah. a weird yeah. kind of concept to definitely. wrap it around. Yeah, definitely. Like I did mention, I have met some other widows and one, one of my friends has been super inspirational. She lost her husband with just a sudden heart attack and I remember Rome and I went to his funeral. This is before Rome even had his second surgery and I watched Heather at that ceremony or at the funeral and I was like, oh my God, that will be me one day. Like I was sitting there with Rome realising that I would be her one day and I could never have done what she did with the beautiful service that she presented. I had a friend of ours do our service for us, Kate. She's a wedding celebrant. And I was like, oh, by the way, would you like to be a funeral celebrant? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she did a beautiful, beautiful service that I couldn't publicly get up and speak myself. So, um, yeah, Heather's been inspirational. She's another widow. I did mention that we had a little bit of a widow gang. Yes, tell not me the kind about of the widow gang. gang. <laughs> well, it's not officially a gang. We're not patched up. Um, it's <laughs> no tab- matching tattoos or anything like that. <laughs> no, not yet. But, yeah, I suppose there's just a few of us who understand what it's like to be a young-ish um, widow or to, to lose your husband. So, yeah, it's just a bit of an understanding and most of us, whether you lose someone suddenly or whether you lose someone over a long, drawn-out battle, I think it, I think that I got the better deal and they think they got the better deal. So both of us, kind of, all of us have this understanding of each other but also probably prefer to have lost our loved ones the way we did than the way that anyone else has. Does yeah. that make sense? I've, I've thought about that as well. It's like there's... There's no, I mean, there's no great way, but I was having this chat with my stepdad the other day at lunch and because I lost my mum suddenly, I didn't ever have to watch her deteriorate and I think mm-hmm. I just don't know how I would have coped in that experience but then I also think I didn't get a chance to say goodbye or, you know, be yeah. with her when she died and I, so I just yeah. don't, I don't know, like... What is the yeah. best way? Uh, I think they're all shit. Yeah, they're um, all shit. But, <laughs> but, all but I think, um, yeah, that's right. And I, I did mention that I went to, I took Bridal to a grief counselling session and uh, for for kids, but then the, the adults sit in their own group and talk about how they lost a loved one and the process that they went through. and Or a lot of them hadn't actually lost people. They, their, the kids' parents weren't there because they were drug-dependent or... There was a, another lady whose whose baby had had died after she'd given birth and was dropped by a midwife. So, oh God, listening to all these people's stories in this group, I went in there thinking, "I'm definitely the worst off. I've lost my husband, and nobody else in there had lost their husband." But I walked away going, "I will take my grief any day over everyone in that group," yeah. and that's a big call because there were some people who. It wasn't even their grief. They were just dealing with the grief of absent. the children they were caring for. Yeah. But, yeah, I still parents. walked away. Yeah, exactly, wanting – I was happy with my with my issues and my grief. And, you know, even though that's not a good thing to feel happy because someone else seems worse off, but it does give you a bit of a bigger understanding and you also feel for other people. Yeah, and I, and I guess too. as well, like doing – 
this project that we're doing, it really opens us up to kind of seeing what people are experiencing and you do feel really alone and like, oh, this is the worst thing that could ever happen and then you hear other people's stories and you're like, actually, fuck, I couldn't imagine kind of going through what they're going through and it really opens you up once you start, yeah, sharing yeah, experiences. For sure. Yeah, and I think I'm via Facebook and stuff with a few other women that I'm friends with that have that their husbands had brain tumours as well and we would talk a lot and, you know, compare different stories and always open to talking to anyone who needs some support in that area and particularly, like, I don't want to talk to them if they're still in the battle because then I think, oh, they must just look at me and go, well, her husband died, mine's going to die too and so I kind of, I'm there when they need me and then I also, like, a few people have said, what happens in the end? Like, what's the process? Like, I remember googling what happens when someone dies like the whole process of like their breathing changes the aspirating all those different things I just really needed to know myself because I didn't want it to be a, a, a shock yeah you so, need to prepare I, yourself as much yeah. as you could I guess mm, so that for anybody that's like what happened in the last few days like I kind of wanted I want to be able to prepare people and share that and that's how I kind of got a little bit interested in becoming like a death doula or somebody who supports people in their final stages of life because there's so much that has to be organised, like even paperwork-wise and, you know, juggling the family and the different people who want to be there when they don't actually, you know, potentially they don't, the person who's dying doesn't want that particular person there all the time or there's different things that go on and there's the juggling of it. And I was like, maybe I could be that person who helps guide people. Yeah, so you because, mentioned yeah. death doula in your notes. Is that a thing? Is like a death there doula is a thing, thing? There's a thing called yeah. There's a um, the death walker. She's down in um down in Byron. So there's a course you can do. It's a death walker course, and um yeah, it kind of walks you through the whole process of the final stages of life. And so some people um, employ a death doula to help them, you know, in those final stages. Particularly if you're a single person or if you've got a particularly tricky family that are going to try and do things towards the end, which unfortunately happens, not in my case, but with some people's families, things can happen where the funeral won't go as they wanted or they won't be able to stay at home for the final few days or the different things that people want once they're incapacitated to be able to make those choices or voice them. Mm-hmm. So the death all are pretty much just guides everyone through the process because it's you know a strange process if it's, um, like a terminal illness or something, the final stages when you know what's happening, you can help guide it the way that you want it to go. Sounds like a great person to have around, somebody that can, yeah. like you say, help sort of steer things mm. in, in the right direction. Yeah, so kind of the opposite of the midwife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, seeing yeah. life out, not bringing life, life in. Yeah, but, yeah. Because I've become really unafraid of death, not that I'm afraid, but I, not that I was ever super afraid of death or that I'm unafraid, but I just, the fear and the uncertainty of it just kind of has gone from me a little bit. I, I think of it as a really special part of life that we're all going to experience. And, you know, it, it was really, I felt really lucky and honoured to be there at the end of Rome. We all experience loss, don't we? No one is exempt mm. from 
from this universal experience and I think what you're doing by helping guide others that's just that's incredible because it's hard to know what what happens and death is I think death is so frightening when you haven't been faced with it I definitely was so afraid of death before prior Mm. to my mum dying Mm. and now my mum's dead I can't I've I'm not really afraid of it either I'm like Mm. it's weird it's weird it's it's hard to articulate but it's and I always say to people, it's the only thing that's, um, you know, completely going to happen to all of us. So we should all kind of like, not be prepared for it, but understand that it will happen to us and the ones we love. And mm. I'm always encouraging everyone to make a funeral playlist, like just pop it in your notes. Like Definitely. if an epic song comes on and you're like, yes, I want that at my funeral. And I know Rome, we got to talk about his funeral songs like for years. Like we talked about them and, I had a full playlist. He had full directions of everything that he wanted to happen at his funeral. And one thing that I never got to do was play Push the Little Daisies and Make Him Come Up. <laughs> that Ween song, he wanted that to be playing as his, as his casket got lowered into the ground. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know that. It goes, Push the Little Daisies and Make Him Come Up. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so good. And, <laughs> So he wanted that to be playing as his casket went down, but as as his casket got carried out or wheeled out of the funeral, he wanted to play Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster. Oh, I love so, it. Gosh. Yeah, I don't do know it? if you know. You but as, yeah, we did it. Oh, yes. we, we rocked it. It was like volume 11. And as the casket comes out, I was walking carrying Ryder. And as I come out into the aisle, it was like, cock-sucking motherfuckers. And I was like, oh, <laughs> good one, Rome. You've just totally put me out into the aisle with that line. <laughs> I mean, are you, like, like, crying? Because I know whenever the funeral song comes on, they're so, like, sad and emotive. I'm like, ugh. But, like, I would have just been, I don't know, laughing. I think I just, like, shook my head and looked down and anyone who knew me, that would have been like, oh, she, you know, knows that Rome's funny. Made him play this song, but he was like, Yeah, when that song comes on, everyone will be like, Yeah. And like, (laughs) doing this. (laughs) I was like, Oh, God. So we did explain to the family, like, and everyone did, you know, some people are quite religious and different things going on. We did explain that there would be some swears and, you know, the music that he wanted. So, yeah, we, um, we definitely made that happen for him. Oh, that is brilliant, Rach. I love that. Yeah. And yeah. how has your grief evolved over the years, Rach? Yeah, but it, it's so funny because this year I was like, okay, it's been six years. That Rome's anniversary is on the 22nd of August. Then it's Father's Day. Then it's our wedding anniversary, like all within a couple of weeks. So in years gone by, it's been really tough. And then this year I was like, oh, I think I've got it. I think I'm okay this year. I don't think... It's going to kind of hit me like it usually does. And then by the time it got to our wedding anniversary, I was like, I'd had like two ugly, ugly cry sessions on the balcony, <laughs> just solo out there wailing. And I was like, what? I thought it would get easier. And it doesn't get easier, but I thought I would become less like so emotionally dragged down by it. But this year it just kind of hit me a little bit later and probably didn't last for as long. So... I mean, every day I miss him and we grieve for him, but I suppose it just becomes more of a happiness that we got to spend that time with him as it changes. So Yeah, and I've, yeah. I've heard that those those moments sort of in between where you 
do feel okay. They kind of get a bit longer over time. Is that how it? How it's yeah, it definitely yeah. does. We, yeah, it won't hit me or yeah, but you know, like you guys would feel the same with Mother's Day. And when I see like kids with their dads, any kind of like father son situation, it just like it rips me. And I know it really affects Ryder when he sees it. And mm. yeah, I mean, there's, there's those kind of um, triggers, and I just. I just feel sad that Ryder doesn't get to know him and know the silly, fun kind of like he just, yeah, he would have been such a good golden light for him. Um, just that kind of light, the happiness to have in his life. And I just, that's the part that really makes me sad now is that Ryder won't get to experience it. And I just feel so thankful I did get to. Yeah, and you, you're good at um, sort of keeping his spirit alive. You do quite a few things sort of every day to make sure the Rome's mm. still living on, especially in Ryder's mm. life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We don't really visit the, the grave site that often. Every now and then we do, but there's so many different things that remind us of him and we're always talking about him and talking to his friends about him and, and yeah, quite a few, a couple of Rome's really close mates are great with Ryder in that sense and they talk about him all the time and, yeah, that's mm. really nice. That's beautiful. Rach, you've just been <laughs> such an inspiration, but I just, I really love as well that you, you know, that you've come out and you've said that you're kind of the best version of yourself now mm. from everything that's happened. Like to have that insight, I know, you know, even losing our mum, Sal and I have both had that conversation. We're like, we're just different now. Like mm. we have opened mm. up to, yeah, the pains of life, but the joys of life, we feel so much more and we're just different versions of ourselves but I guess there's a lot of positive things that come with that which I think it's really great to identify and and not just get caught up in in you know the tragedy of what's happened yeah for sure like there's I just don't have the time to bullshit anymore it's just like Mm, oh like even just listening to people gossip or someone starts gossiping I just feel a bit sick Mm. in my stomach I'm just like oh there's just certain things that just have no time for <laughs> and but I'm happy to just leave it and I don't have to argue with them about it whereas when I was younger I would argue until I was blue in the face about my opinion or what I thought was important and now I'm like Ugh, I'm just gonna walk away I know you've also got a a playlist that you shared with us Rach called the ugly cry (laughs) we both were like oh my god this is amazing i put it on yesterday not gonna lie (laughs) and if you don't if you don't mind us linking to that in in the show notes if you're comfortable with that it's a bloody good playlist um, to my arms nick cave got me going and leon just got me going (laughs) yeah sometimes you just need that to just you know let the tears flow when it's building up and you haven't had a good cry for a while i think oh god so so much but i felt like after sorry i'm jumping but after Rome Park and and in some of our most stressful times i couldn't listen to music i just couldn't yeah. I felt really disconnected. I couldn't read books. I couldn't listen to music. I felt like I'd lost that part of me. And I really love reading and music. And yeah, I kind of lost it for quite some time. I felt but, um, exactly the same as you. I found a post that I'd done on a forum yesterday where I was asking for podcast recommendations. And in it, I said that I cannot sit with my thoughts right now and I cannot listen to music at the moment mm. because it was just triggering mm. me. Every single mm. song was like all about mm. my mum dying. It's like how I couldn't, yeah, hear the lyrics the same way anymore. I just, mm. yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. And it was 
Yeah, it is a strange thing. It's almost like you don't want to give yourself any joy that you used to get from whether it was reading or those special connections. It was just like just no no desire to do it at all. And Rach, do you have any recommendations for someone going through a similar loss? Any helpful resources or any tips? We'll definitely link your ugly cry playlist in the show notes because I think please feel free to make your own ugly cry because there are some songs in that are definitely just Rome related there were some gangster songs in there I must admit I was like yeah this isn't quite making me cry this one but sure I mean it's my it's my ugly cry playlist but I feel like making your own is a really good thing I would actually also recommend like making notes and and kind of jotting down how you were feeling on certain days and and different things like that because you do kind of forget and you get through to the other side. So even like memories of that person and and kind of documenting them and keeping them somewhere is really awesome, like even a folder of different images or, you know, that you can kind of go and look at and have those memories because memories of people fade pretty quickly and, you know, there's so many things I wish I'd kind of gotten Rome to do towards the end, like if anybody has got someone who's kind of getting towards the end of their life, like getting them to record some of their voice or mm, write a letter cool. for, for their for their children and different things that I yeah. didn't kind of think about because we didn't want to make home write that kind of thing. It would have been really sad for him, but I wish I had that now for, for writer. It's like the uh, – have you watched The Afterlife with Ricky Gervais? Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, and he's. Uh, yeah. I watched it after my mum died. I'm like, can't get away from my grief, so I'll just watch a TV show on grief. Oh, but I just <laughs> loved that. Yeah, the videos that his wife made for him oh, that he no. could watch back. But it is that similar sort of thing. It's like you can, you know, connect with them that way. I think that that idea is so beautiful. Yeah, I th- you know, I obviously I think listening to different podcasts and and um, different things have been really great. I I do enjoy like like that. TV series and and watching shows where you know you can probably do an ugly cry, but just getting rid of it, just feeling mm. it, letting it wash over you, and actually experiencing it. Don't try and swallow it and bottle it up. It's just like let it all out. It comes out in the end, doesn't it? Oh, anyway, ten times there. worse if you yeah. don't let it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, God, yeah. And then you'll be like yelling at the delivery man for probably just right. And then you'll. <laughs> Yeah. That, that wasn't directed at you. Well, I mean, crying in the in the Kmart card section, like trying to pick a card for someone, and there was like mothers, of, there was like a happy birthday nana or something card. I was like, ah, yeah, not good. <laughs> Oh, I think one of the great things about this whole bloody stupid COVID situation is that people are actually being more honest about their feelings and emotions. And, mm. uh, you know, it's okay to feel crap and shitty. And I just am really thankful that people are becoming more open with their mental health and how they're feeling. It's it's really nice. Instead of when we, if you used to say that you had anxiety, they were like off to the crazy hospital. Yeah, for like you there's then. something wrong with you, mate. We've all got yeah. anxiety. I'm sure we've all got it. Yeah, yeah. But um, now it's kind of people are more um, willing to talk about it. So hopefully, like grief can be one of those things that gets more out in the open as well. Definitely, we really hope so. I, I did want to mention that I do have a new partner now. He's actually an old friend who was friends with Rome. And I wrote a post the other day that I'd been thinking about a lot that just said, you know, that I wanted to thank him because he actually allows me to be completely in love with another man for forever. Like he doesn't ever make me feel 
bad about grieving, you know, for the loss because obviously he was friends with Rob too. So he beautiful. also yes. is missing his friend. But he is so humble and understanding that he can not be jealous of me being still in love with someone else. I guess that would be really hard for people to move on as well and having that next relationship or falling in love with someone else but still having that con- like deep connection to someone who's Exactly. Died. And that's yeah. what a, a few women that I've um, had contact with on Facebook have said that when they get a new partner, that's the tricky bit mm-hmm. because, you know, unless they are sometimes people end up with other widows as well, which seems quite common, that unless they kind of understand and their ego is, Strong enough, not strong enough to um to let that other person be a constant figure in their life. I think people do often find it hard to have new relationships because of that, because there's always this other person in there. What's his name? He sounds lovely. His name's Paul. Oh, yeah. But no, there's um yeah, there is. I think that's probably that next step that a lot of people kind of go through as well. And yeah, something that people can relate to too. You know, in that mm. similar mm. situation, it's like yeah, navigating those the the new relationships in your life. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's ever easy for anybody in those situations. But yeah, it is one of those things you have to go into and and understand. And then there's probably people you'll talk to that have gone through the grief story and they have children and they their children probably aren't quite happy with them getting in a new relationship and all those kind of things that happen. Yeah, obviously when when you do get in a relationship with someone who's lost a partner, it is that you know it's never, it's not like that deadbeat boyfriend that they'll be like, oh god, I'm so glad we broke up. Like they'll always be immortalized as a perfect human because yeah. that also happens when people die. I don't know if you guys have noticed yeah. that, that yeah. they suddenly, all the bad things they ever did are gone. Yeah, and it's like they were absolutely the best person in the world and Definitely. I think that's probably hard for kids when they lose a parent too because Ryder probably often thinks, well, my dad wouldn't tell me off for not doing my homework or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, that is so true, though. You do put the person on a pedestal. I know I did that with my mum when she just became sort of this glorified figure and then I had to kind of like, you know, really sit with it and try and remember who she was as a person. And then I know Sally and I have talked about like you start to see them in a really different way. I know, I guess, when you lose a parent it's different, but I started to see her for all her flaws. But initially I was like the most amazing person in the world, my mom, I'm never going to be able to survive without her. And like, mm, yeah, you do. Too. I think it's a common experience. Yeah. And then you're like, hang on, she was actually a little bit annoying. In yeah. This sense. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like with, with Rome, I'm like, oh, he would have been the perfect dad. And then I was like, no, he would have been like playing too many video games. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, it's like, but, you know, they definitely always will end up on a, sort of, on a pedestal and you know, yeah. maybe that's a, a beautiful thing, but it could probably be slightly annoying at times too. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rach. It's been such an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of people will, will take away a lot of things from your story. So thank you for sharing it with us. No problem, girls. Thank you. And thank you so much for launching this much-needed podcast. I'm so excited to hear all the other guests you have on board. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you have enjoyed listening to today's episode, then please do subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. And if you can leave us a rating or a review, that would be really, really helpful. 
And if you or someone you know might benefit from listening to this podcast, please spread the word about Good Morning.